Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. church family. It's an honor, a privilege for me to be here with you. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Brian. And uh, today we are concluding a series. And then next week we're starting a new series. I'm so glad you didn't clap after I said that we're concluding the series. I would have probably gotten a little insecure. Um, But there's a tool and an opportunity that I wanted to uh, make you aware of that next week we're going to begin the Gospel of Mark. And we are going to be walking, marching, strolling, some would say crawling, through the Gospel of Mark. There is so much there. And so for the next, not for the next, in total 60 Sundays, and we'll break that up. I'll give you Christmas. Um, We're going to be walking through this book of the Bible. And I would love for you to take advantage of an opportunity that we have. So available in the commons and in the cafe, we have these little booklets that are the full text of the Gospel of Mark and then blank pages. It's quite decorative, quite nice. Um, And that way, as we march through it, as we crawl through it, you'll be able to take some notes and really dive into it. Um, Sometimes I, for myself, as I take notes in my Bible... God will give me some profound insight, something that's really going to affect my life, and I jot it down, and then I come back to it later, and I can't always quite make it out because I got these thin little margins. Um, so that is available to you if you would like to make use of it, like I said, out in the commons or at the cafe. Now, have you noticed how, as a society, but also within the church, how we do a really good job of celebrating when everything turns up roses? You know, when people have been praying and waiting and longing and then God answers their prayer, we're all like, somebody get that person a mic, right? We need to highlight that. We need to celebrate that. And that's good. That's fair. That's fitting. We ought to do that. Like the Apostle Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. But there's the second part of that verse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and... Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. What happens when individuals, when people, when you have been praying, have been walking in faithfulness, when you've been waiting, 
And God says, no. God says, wait. God says, not right now. What happens when you pray and it just seems like the situation gets worse? You pray for that doctor's meeting that you have coming up and then you go only to hear the news that you dreaded all along. Maybe you give and you serve and you walk in generosity and yet your personal financial situation just keeps getting worse. Maybe you're the man or the woman of God that God has called you to be and yet you're still single and still feeling it. What happens when you're waiting, when you're hoping, and you lose it all? You see, as we conclude our series today, we're going to see how God wants to use this season of waiting to lead us to worship. He doesn't want you to complain He doesn't want you to be stuck in confusion. He wants to move you and to transform you and to lead you from waiting to worship. The path that Habakkuk takes here in this book is the path that God has for you. Because in the end, Habakkuk is a changed man. He's not the same. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Habakkuk. If you can't find Habakkuk, just go to Habakkuk. Either one will do (laughs) for our purposes here today. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here because there's quite a transition in this book. This book was written in the 600s BC, 600 years before Christ, and it's written in such a way that it's actually a dialogue with God. This individual is asking God questions. It's less about what he's going to go and do from here and more about his own heart wrestling with God. It opens with the prophet Habakkuk complaining. He's got a bone to pick. He's got a problem. God, how long? How long is injustice going to keep going? How long are these negative things going to keep happening? Why don't you hear, God, what people are saying? Why don't you see the violence that is happening? What's going on, God? How long? Your law? Your law seems powerless to do anything. How long? He's complaining. And God wants to move him from complaining to confidence. So God comes to him and graciously answers him in his complaints. God says to him, I hear you, but Habakkuk, I am doing something in your life and in the world that you wouldn't believe even if I told you. Okay, that sounds good, God. Something amazing, something incredible. What's going to happen? Are you going to make the sun stand still in the sky so that we can defeat our enemies? Are you going to send about revival? Are you going to send an angel out to go forward and and to conquer our enemies on your behalf, God? What's going to happen? And God says, no, I'm going to send the Babylonians. And they're going to judge you. It's like, okay. And what does that mean? What does that entail, God? 
I mean, the Babylonians were public enemy number one. The Chaldeans, as they're referred to here, they were an evil and wicked empire that were threatening Israel. And God has just told Habakkuk that, yes, they're going to come, and they're going to come and bring judgment. Okay. So Habakkuk is now confused. And God wants to move him from confusion to clarity. And God says, yes, I'm doing something in your world that you wouldn't even believe. And it's going to require faith. God's ways, my ways, God says, are not like your ways. I'm higher. I'm greater. You're not always going to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So the righteous, in 2 verse 4, shall live by faith. It's going to take faith. Okay. Okay. Habakkuk says. And then God replies essentially with, don't worry. The Babylonians too shall be judged. They will not escape. No evil goes unpunished. God is a God of justice. So this evil empire is threatened. And you can see this in chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 19. I mean, here, God is pronouncing judgment, woes. He is promising, predicting, prophesying what's going to happen to the Babylonians. In verses 7 and 8, God says, financial ruin is in your future, O Babylon. In verses 9 to 11, societal collapse is coming. In verses 12 to 14, removal of God himself from their collective lives. In verses 15 and 16, God says, public shame is going to come upon you. Verse 17, the violence that you have done over the world as you spread your empire, that same violence is going to return on your own head. Verse 18 and 19, they are told that there's going to be an utter futility of their existence and even their worship. Judgment is coming. But what I love about this second chapter of Habakkuk is that God does not end with, don't worry, I'm going to punish you, and then I'm going to punish them. Because here Habakkuk is waiting and wondering. And he says, yes, I know you're a God of justice, but there's got to be something more. And praise God that his response is not done. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. We read these words. After all this judgment is being pronounced, God says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. This is the invitation that if you're going to move from waiting to worship, you need to understand, you need to see, you need to believe, you need to know this, that worship starts with setting your eyes on God instead of the problem. Okay? Now, I understand that we have a negativity bias, and it's hard to not focus on what is wrong. If you walk into a room, and there is a grizzly bear in the room, you're not going to sit there and say, you know what? I'm not going to focus on the problems. The pastor said, don't do that. Therefore, I'm going to ignore it. 
But we have an uncanny ability in hard situations and difficult seasons to obsess over the negative, to give it our time, our attention, to allow it to consume the mental real estate of our mind. And the invitation here that God gives to Habakkuk is to see him as he is. That in light of all of this judgment, all of this negativity that is coming, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Here's the challenge for you and I. Do the eyes of your heart see him? He sits enthroned in the heavens. He rules and reigns, unchallenged, unrivaled. Let all the earth, including you and I, keep silent before him as we contemplate him and gaze on him in his glory and his beauty. When you forget this is when the problems grow big. It's when they consume you. It's when you lack and lose the hope that God wants for you to have in those seasons. Yes, judgment is coming, but keep your eyes on me, Habakkuk. When the doctor has bad news that you have been dreading, the Lord is still in his holy temple. When your spouse walks out on you, God is still in his holy temple. When your finances are tight and you are stressed out, keep your eyes on God. He is still in his holy temple. When your kid is a prodigal and you've prayed for them and you've, you've longed for them to come back to how they were raised, to know Christ and to treasure him, and they won't, God is still in his holy temple. And you see, you and I are quick to forget that. Because we like to focus on our problems, on the issues. But here's the, here's the reality. This side of eternity, your issues and problems, they may morph and change, but they will never fully go away. So if you spend your time obsessing and focusing on what is wrong or on the problems, it's just going to be one obsessive gaze after another as you walk through this life. But worship can start, can be initiated, can begin to happen. When you set your eyes on God and his glory, that you remember that whatever you and I walk through, he is still in his holy temple. He still rules and reigns. He is still the glorious and magnificent and transcendent God. That it's not about what you and I feel in any given moment. Our feelings change. It's about the truth of who God is and all that he's done for us in Christ. And so you keep your eyes on him. Worship starts with setting your eyes on God rather than your problems. And what's beautiful for you and I to see is that this is exactly what Habakkuk does. Because chapter 3 marks a change. Chapter 3, the the Habakkuk that we see here is very different from the man we met in chapter 1. He's a man at peace. He's a man of worship. And even though God has not answered him how he wanted, he's still a man of joy. 
something has transformed Habakkuk by chapter 3. And that transformation of worship starts when he keeps his eyes on God rather than his problem. Look down to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is a song of worship and of praise. It's declaring the goodness, the grace, the glory of God. Chapter 1 opens with him complaining, saying to God, it's like you're mute. It's like you're, you're blind. It's like you're deaf, God. You're doing nothing. Where are you? Then he sees God in his glory. His eyes are drawn to see him high and lifted up. And in chapter 3, he breaks out into song. Chapter 3 is a psalm, much like the Psalms of David. It was originally composed, more than likely, as we see towards the end of the, the, end of the book itself, for, as a song. And what he does here in the beginning parts of this chapter 3 of this psalm is he just spends his time focusing his heart on the virtues of God. Chapter 1 is all about focusing on the problem. Injustice and evil and violence. Chapter 3 is all about God and who he is. He speaks about God's power. God's glory. God's splendor, God's wrath, God's mercy, God's grace, God's salvation. All of these are celebrated, reflected on. <clears throat> he has seen the Lord in his holy temple and he has come away transformed. But what's incredible for you and I to see, and as an incredible hope of the gospel, it's not merely that he just... That's right, God's in control, I need to worship. And so it's not a mental exercise that he goes through. This isn't brute willpower and discipline that has allowed him to grow. He's not simply being a stoic here. Because the end, the end of this song is joy. Do you believe that joy is possible? You say, Devin, you don't know what I'm walking through and you don't know what I'm facing. Well, you don't know what I'm waiting on. No, I don't. But there's a lesson here that this prophet learned. And it's a lesson that you and I have to learn. The lesson is this, when it seems like you have nothing, God is more than enough. When it seems like there is nothing left, when it seems like there is no hope, when you have been waiting and you have been praying, you've been faithful, you've been walking in obedience, and God says, no. He is still more than enough. Look at verse 17. Listen to these words. And my hope and my prayer is that both as a church and as individuals, that we can repeat this because we have seen the beauty and the worth and the majesty of God. Listen to these words. 
Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, even after all of this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We read this and it's easy for us to romanticize this or to say, oh, he's, he's being poetic. He, it's, slightly, it's a slight hyperbole. He's just exaggerating. Do you see what he's saying here? They are in an agriculturally dependent society and nation being threatened with an opposing nation coming in. What he's saying here is if I lose everything, I will still rejoice. Not in my circumstances, but in my Savior. This is the heart that's been transformed by seeing God in his glory and majesty. Think about these words. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Figs were used obviously as a, as a food source, but medicinally as well. Though there be no fruit on the vines both for eating and for, for drinking. Water sources during this day and age were suspect at best. And so oftentimes wine, weak wine would be brewed or fermented so that people could have some access to something drinkable. If the produce of the olive fail, olives and olive oil used in everything, again, from food to cooking, baking, to medicinal purposes, Though the fields yield no food, if I plant my gardens, and if all of the crops that we've planned for, that that we're banking on, if all of it turns up empty, if the flock be cut off from the fold, if our animals are being picked off, our livestock, sources of meat, animals to work, sources of milk, if they all fall apart, if they all picked off, if they all die, And there's no herd in the stall. There's not an animal outside. There's not an animal inside. If I have nothing, he says, if I lose it all, if his very worst fears come true, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If I have nothing, God is still more than enough for me. Starvation, loss, pain, and struggle. Even if society collapses and the dollar plummets and my worst fears come to pass, I'm still going to rejoice. Not in my situation, but in my Savior. 
See, this is the glory and the wonder of Jesus. Because so many people think that following Christ is just about avoiding these sins that I currently find enjoyable. Right? No, it's an invitation to experience that which has so much worth and power and beauty and is so utterly compelling that if you lost everything, you would still rejoice because he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus is enough. There is no foundation like Jesus. There is no truth to build your life upon like Jesus. There is no source of identity for your heart and soul like Jesus. Because everything else can crumble and fall. But if God is your foundation, You're bulletproof. If you put your hope in anything other than Jesus, you are risking ruin. Everything else will come and go. It will not stand secure. Let's do a little thought experience experiment here. Let's say that you put your ultimate hope, your identity, in your career. And you've invested everything to climb the ladder higher and higher, to make a name for yourself, to garner respect. You are one bad quarter, one negative review, one young up-and-coming upstart intern, some hotshot gal or guy, away from utterly being ruined. What a fragile thing to base your identity on. What about your health? If your health, your physical looks your attractiveness, your accomplishments in the physical realm, if all of this is what you base your ultimate identity on, just give it 40 years. right? I was going to say give it five, but maybe you're really disciplined and you stretch a lot and you're going to age well. Give it 40 years. You are one bad injury away from being utterly limited in what you can now do. Do you see how fragile this is? What happens when you blow that knee out, you can't move, and you pack on that extra 10 pounds? You want to be stuck in a cycle of self-loathing? You can't build your identity on that. What about your income? Your financial situation? your investments, your properties, your boats. And you build your, your, build your sense of identity on that? That's such a fragile thing to build it on. You know, you like to be the person who's always pushing and promoting how much money you have. Well, guess what? Investments go up and down. True. But maybe you are so wealthy that you are immune from it all. Well, guess what? As soon as you die, it's all not yours anymore anyway. 
What a fragile thing to build your life upon. Here's one. Your perfect little family. If there was ever a temptation in Christian circles, it was around, uh, it's typically around presenting the facade. If your ultimate hope and identity, if the foundation of your life, the most central part of you, is to have this perfect little family, you're going to either be crushed or you're going to crush your kids with impossible expectations to live up to. So it doesn't matter what's really happening at home. It doesn't matter what's happening in your kids' hearts as long as outwardly they still look good on Instagram and they'll still coordinate colors for the fall photo shoot. You're happy. What a weight to put on your children that your sense of identity is linked with their performance. You know, I knew this man once who's a a pastor. I was very early in ministry. I think I was just like interning or something. And I went to this lunch that was being hosted. And these are all pastors that knew each other. So it was, there ought to have been a lot of trust there. And there was one individual, kind of the, the patriarch of the group, really well respected, but he had a son. And the son was a scoundrel. Not just like not following the Lord, but doing stuff that was probably going to end up getting him arrested. And it became kind of public knowledge. And because it was a very performance-driven ministry environment where everybody played that game and tried to pretend like they had it all together, we were sitting there and somebody had asked him, how's your son doing? And I was like, ooh, this should be good. Let's see what he says. I knew the situation. And he looked at this other pastor, this brother that he had walked with, that he trusted, and he said this. Great. Yeah, everything's good. Yeah, the Lord's really working in his heart, and he's on a good path now. And, you know, he's still got some challenges, but uh, we're, we're thankful. And I remember being so sad. I'm just like, really, brother? Like, why can't you just say, my son's doing some really dumb stuff right now, and it breaks my heart. Would you pray for him? You see, if you build your life on your career, you build your life on your your physical looks, if you build your life on your income or your money, if you build your life on having this perfect little family, what happens when the fig tree doesn't blossom anymore? What happens when the olive tree doesn't produce? What happens when there's nothing left and you've lost it? You're going to be ruined. But there is a foundation that stands secure. And when God is the foundation of your life, you cannot be moved. If you can say with the prophet, by the grace of God and the Spirit's enabling, no matter what I face in this life, No matter what I walk through, no matter the loss I have to process, no matter what happens, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take joy in the God of my salvation. You are untouchable. This is the essence of Christianity. It's to taste and see that God is good and great and glorious. 
When God is the foundation of your life, you cannot be moved. Come hell or high water, come storm or rain or wind or thunder, you can stand secure. And look at what he says next. Verse 19 says this. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He says, it doesn't matter what happens. I will stand secure. Like a deer that hangs on these impossible cliffs with these tiny little toeholds. And they climb that mountain. I'm going to make it to the top by God's grace. Because God is my strength. Jesus is enough. No matter what happens, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If you want to move from waiting to worship, you need to understand that Jesus is enough. Now, I know as I talk like this, if you're here, let me be brutally honest. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, what I'm saying right now sounds insane. A God that's so amazing that you're content with nothing but him. I thought the whole point of religion was to get something out of God, not to gain God himself. Listen, if you are here and you don't know Jesus yet, this is going to sound utterly foolish, but I can tell you this, that there are those here right now who could run up here, don't, who could run up here, grab the mic, and shout, amen, amen. I've been in those seasons where I had nothing but Jesus, and he's enough. You don't know him. That's why it seems strange to you. Your eyes haven't seen him in his holy temple. So of course, you have not been saved by him. So of of course you can't take joy and rejoice in the God of your salvation. But every week what we do is we get together and we remind ourselves from God's word that he's enough. That even if we lose it all, he is sufficient. The Lord is my strength and he makes my feet like the deer's so that we can climb that mountain and make it through by his grace. But maybe you're here and you are in an especially hard season. And you would say, Devin, I want this, but I'm not there yet. Maybe you would say, I don't feel like a deer climbing the mountain. I feel like a rolled up armadillo rolling downhill. I don't think I can make it. I don't have the strength. I don't know what I'm going to do if God doesn't work and move how I want him to in this situation. I don't think, Devin, that I have the strength. The Lord is my strength. Your strength is not your strength. You get what I'm saying? It's the Lord's strength. Think of Paul's words 
My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God said to him. If you are waiting, if you are complaining, if you are confused, you can't stay there because that's not a life of joy. That's not a life of peace. That is not a life of worship. Listen to the invitation of God from the book of Habakkuk. Focus on God, not the problems. Let your eyes see him high and lifted up. And as you do, come to recognize that even if you have nothing, if you have him, you have more than enough. You may have no fig leaves, no figs, no olives, no grapes, no crops, no herds, and no flocks. But you can still have hope, and you can still rejoice. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Jesus is good. He gave his own life to shed his blood to rescue you forever. So even in the waiting, God is good. God is there. God is here. He is working. He is giving you the strength. He will never let you go. He will give you the grace to persevere in this life. He will lead you through this life into eternal life with him even in the pain, even in the hardship, even in the waiting, you can still worship because he's enough. So as we conclude this series, let me ask you, are you waiting? Are you complaining? Are you confused? Rejoice in the Lord. Keep your eyes on him. Take joy in the God of your salvation. Let me pray to that end. Father, I say a special prayer for those who are hurting. Who are hurting in significant and painful ways. I pray that you would strengthen them in their weakness. That you would make their feet like the feet of a deer's. Father, for those who are here who don't yet know you, who have not tasted and seen that you are good, who have not seen you with their heart high and lifted up, God, give them a sense of you today. Father, make this prayer, this psalm of Habakkuk, true of us, I pray, both as individuals and as a church, that we are satisfied in you. That we are amazed at the sufficiency of Christ to be all in all. May we rejoice not in our situations and and our circumstances, but in the God of our salvation, trusting in you as we wait on you. We ask all of this in the name, the name of the one who sits enthroned in heaven, the name of the one 
who is our joy, the name of the one who is the God of our salvation. All praise and honor to you, Jesus. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.